listening to First Church Charlotte. One of the things I don't do a lot of is preaching directly to current events, or teaching, I should say, directly to current events. And one of the advantages of that is the church is seen to be given biblical answers to the things that everyone is talking about. And there is an advantage as as a church, as a, a group of believers, when we can speak directly to the issues of our society, not in a preachy way, um, and not in an exclusive way, and not even in a political way. These are the manner in which the world speaks um, because they are trying to uh, take a specific side for a specific outcome. There are situations in in which the church uh, does that, but it's most effective when it's done at the believer level and not at the church level. The reason why I say that is because an individual with a position, an individual Excuse me. An individual uh, can stand in your te- in your personal testimony, and you 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 are not perceived as an agenda. You are perceived as an individual, um, and you are then able to walk in the power of your testimony. But when a church advocates, and sometimes it's right to advocate. I don't want to give wrong uh, impression here. But when a church advocates, it's not perceived as a witness. It's perceived as a political agenda. And right now there's a lot of uh, resistance to the larger church uh, because the church has been too easily identified with political agendas, not so identified with individual witnesses that Christ has changed everything. And so here at First Church, uh, we want to stand firm and sure in what we believe, but we don't want our neighbors to perceive it so much as an agenda as they perceive it as a testimony. The reason why I say that is because remember the illustration, this isn't in my notes, sorry, I'm just wandering here because that's how I do. Uh, Remember the illustration in the scripture where the blind man, he is accosted by the leaders of the the temple and uh, the issue comes down to uh, this man Jesus, you know, he's he's not a good guy. We've got to, you know, what say you? And uh, this, this individual does not, he does not, his testimony is not an agenda. He does not stand there and say, well, I'm going to tell you right now, we're taking this city over. His testimony is simply a testimony. Let me tell you what I know. I once was blind, but now I see. You see, you're able to stand strong in, uh, on a, uh, upon a conviction. You're able to stand firm upon uh, your, your, your personal testimony. Be strong to your, te- your doctrine, strong to your belief system. But, the wor- but you don't make enemies in, uh, in, in, the, in the world that is beyond the walls of the church. Why is that important? Because the manner in which the church wins long term is through love. That is the plan of order for the church. And the powerful thing about uh, love is that whether it wins or whether it loses, it makes no enemies. That's the secret of the people of God. At the end of the day, we make no enemies. And also, I should say, God is on our side, so let's not under. <laughs> All right, so this is uh, one of my attempts to uh, speak directly to issues of the day in a manner that is uh, biblical. We're going to do a, a systematic Bible study, uh, and I am going to try to frame it in a title, a concept that is very relevant to the, the moment in the news cycle, and very interesting to outsiders. So my title tonight is this, Kanye says Jesus is king. How'd I do? How'd I do? That's pretty relevant right there, isn't it? (laughs) Kanye says Jesus is king. So Kanye famously is a rap, uh, hip-hop artist, and um, I want to point out that I do not follow hip-hop culture. I'm not that cool. And um, uh, although we have some great Christian hip-hop artists, uh, this past Friday night we had Well Said and Cord, both apostolic preachers, that came and performed, and, and they even did it true to a hip in, in, in a hip-hop culture. Um, now, when I was growing up, the big no-no was rock, and uh, I was a part of a band uh, called Shine, and we were very edgy. And we traveled all over doing uh, kind of 
contemporary Christian music. And my, my, mom, my, my mom and my dad uh, took a chance and they had us here at this church, this, this church uh, in this district and we burnt this house down. We rocked it out. It was nothing but, nothing but awesome. Um, but anyway, that's my self-assessment of our performance. <laughs> It's like, how was your breakfast you cooked? Oh, it was the best breakfast of the week, you know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, our church has a tradition of having um, a, great, um, a great sense of willingness to try anything that will generate interest for, for uh, 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 the greater purpose of representing uh, the gospel of Christ. And sometimes that is outside of the music we would listen to. So uh, for the first time, I think that I can ever remember on Friday night, we had guys up here and they were, they were like, rapping and it was good. Now I listen to hip hop. I listen to Christian hip hop when I work out. Um, if I'm not working out and there is legit, some legit, uh, don't look at me like that. I went to Garinger. What do you think I listen to? So when I work out, I'll listen to Christian hip hop. There is some serious talent out there in the Christian hip hop scene. And so anyway, moving along, I do not follow secular hip hop culture. Um, I don't want to act too cool. I just know because of the news media that the um, rapper Kanye West has released a Christian album. And he first mentioned Christ in a big hit in 2004. And I think the name of that song was Jesus Walks. And now in 2019, what, some uh, almost 15 years later, he re releases a Christian album entitled Jesus is King. This is the larger issue. What is the church to do with celebrity conversions? What is the church to do? See, you knew that I would come up with an interesting Bible study out of this because my breakfast was very good this morning. You just knew that I would cook up a good breakfast for you. So thank you for your vote of confidence. I love you too. I want to say this. What is the church to do with celebrity conversions? Interestingly, uh, the Bible gives us clear direction on how we handle um, celebrity conversions. And I want to say in defense of Kanye is that the Christian community has been very divided and you can find people who think he is the Antichrist and I want to assure you he is not the Antichrist. Um, he does not have that kind of influence. <laughs> the Antichrist will deceive um, the very elect. So that, that's not that kind of influence. Um, and other people will kind of speak in defense of him. So we want to talk about what does the Bible say about celebrity conversions. Um, Kanye himself expected to be hated on and he says this and this is from his album what have you been hearing from the Christians they'll be the first one to judge me make it feel like nobody loved me um, yeah he got that right there is a large group of there's a large subculture within Christianity that re reacts their first reaction uh, to anything that happens is a fear-based reaction because they feel like it is their primary duty to maintain purity, a disciplined purity. They feel like that is their value added to the world to be God's enforcement brigade. Uh, this is very much a part of the larger church story. Uh, you'll find this uh, even in the time of Jesus. There was a, a people who were very threatened by uh, Jesus being open with sinners, by Jesus hanging out with people of ill repute and giving miracles to shameful people and they felt like this would tarnish the larger image of uh, being covenant people by having association with sinners. This is not just in Jesus's time. This is also in the New Testament uh, in the book of Acts. And if we, uh, if I can move efficiently along here, we will talk about some of this. I want you to see this is not all bad. All of us should have um, a desire to get things right. All of us should have a desire to be appropriate and to be biblical. This is not all bad. I want to emphasize this because it's it's easy for us to say, um, you know, uh, it's easy for us to pretend we're not judgmental and be quite judgmental. I want to say that again. It's easy for us to pretend like we're not judgmental and then to actually be quite judgmental. We're just judgmental of judgmental people. 
And so as a church culture, what we want to have is we want to have this culture. They already have a master. We'll leave them with their master. Do you see what I'm saying? We don't want to have a culture of we're right and they're wrong. That means we have entered into the fray whereby we are being divided by religious vanity. We are a part of the fray. And so as all churches have critics, our church has critics. We're not special because we have critics. We're not more spiritual because we have critics. All churches have critics. Um, We have to see that they have a master and they're working out their demonstration of the kingdom of God in their community. It will inevitably be different than ours. And even if they identify us as their enemy, we don't want to identify them as our enemy. Why? The worst thing that can happen in a church is an unspoken death culture. It will kill everything that God is doing. An unspoken death culture is where I review you and I see you as you are. And having eyes to see, I stand in the stead of Lucifer and I accuse you of what is actually true about you. That's the ministry of Lucifer. The ministry of God's people, we want to see one another with grace. I want to see you as God sees you. Then I can receive you. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't want to speak judgment to you. Why? Then judgment gets spoken to me. I want to see you through the eyes of grace. That means we see conservative people who mean well and they make themselves feel safe by uh, adopting their version of what I'm labeling death culture. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. I don't want to be like that. To me, that is spiritual death culture. I want to have spiritual life culture, which is like, maybe we'll let God do what he's going to do with it. Maybe we'll let God do what he's going to do with it until there is clear heresy. And then even when there's clear heresy, what do we want to do? We want to manifest love as we place biblical safeguards and deal with the threat in a spiritual uh, manner that has right biblical jurisdiction and jurisprudence, there's a fancy word, in its discretion, which means it's probably not something uh, you should worry about in other people's life. Here is death culture. Not when I do what I think I ought to be doing, but when I go around telling you what I think you ought to be doing. You see, I want to do justice here walk justly, and I want to love mercy for you. Do you see what happened there? That's life culture. I'm tough on me. Justice here. Walk justly. This is all Bible. Just don't have, I'm just trying to move efficiently along. Haven't got to my notes yet. And so this is me doing justice. What am I? I'm being tough on me. I need to do better. The first thing I say is, Errol's probably a better Christian than me. Why do I say that? I don't know if it's true. How would I know? But my stinking pride needs to hear it. Yeah. Do you see what happens there? When I'm not saying it because it's true, how would I know? I'm saying it because my stinking pride needs to hear it. I need to humble myself before the hand of God and believe. Look, if the apostle Paul said, I'm the worst of all you, how much more should this preacher be willing to see the goodness in other people? And see them through grace. All right, so here comes Kanye, and we're talking about spiritual um, or uh, celebrity transformations in the book of Acts. The first one that I want to bring to you uh, for your consideration is probably the most famous, and this is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, before he was well known as a preacher of Jesus Christ, had high status as a Pharisee. This is important to see. He had so much status that he felt confident to go into the Sanhedrin council and ask for authority through the legal structures of the Jewish religion to persecute Christians in the name of the Sanhedrin council. This is very high status. Most people cannot even get an audience. Do you see what I'm saying? Most people cannot even get an audience with the Sanhedrin. They're like, hey, this is Bob. I'd like to meet with the Sanhedrin. They're like, do you know a Bob? I don't know a Bob. Sorry, they're all busy. Maybe another time, click. Most people can't even get an audience. The Apostle Paul thinks he can get authority. You need to see the high status the Apostle Paul has. Not only that, he meets with them and what does he get? Authority. What does he do? He goes about in their name. And persecutes Christians. And then one day, he's walking along. He's got his Christian hip-hop music playing. And he's beatboxing along. He's like, yeah, yeah, suckers. And And then, boom, God slaps him to the ground. Who are you persecuting down there? You think you got it figured out? You don't have a clue. 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Okay, Paul's with a group of people. They all hear the voices, but they don't see it. When Paul gets up, he can't see. God's not in the business of showing things to people who they can't, when they, if they can't see. That's why it can be so frustrating to try to share a vision with someone. They just can't see. They might need to hear your voice. Because they're not going to see. Anyway, moving along. And so they don't see it, but here comes Paul. He pops up off the ground. His vision's gone. And you begin to read this story uh, in uh, Acts chapter number 9 of this conversion. This is not the celebrity, the first celebrity conversion of the book of Acts. Uh, We'll talk about that later. But for the sake of learning, I want to present it in uh, a non-chronological order. And so Saul is uh, struck into the ground. And now there's a believer in Damascus. I'm in chapter 9. I'm at verse number 10. A believer in Damascus named Ananias, the Lord speaks to him, calls him by name, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, go to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have showed him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, how many of you have ever prayed and the first thing you said to God was, but Lord? It's kind of like, you need to give uh, X amount of dollars to Heart for the House offering. But Lord. (laughs) You see what's happening here. But Lord. Okay. And so he uh, protests. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done. Believers in Jerusalem. Now he is authorized. I'm reading uh, New Living Translation, by the way, so we'll hear it with fresh ears. And uh, he's now authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord says, the Lord doesn't stop at your but Lord. Have to be careful there. That could go wrong. Um, So go, the Lord says to your but Lord, go. The Lord's still in the business of listening to your protest and saying go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. Now, I'm sure Ananias wished that that had been given to him. But Lord, I want to be the one to take the message to kings. And the Lord's like, nah, Paul. He goes to Paul. I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias goes. He lays hands on him. He says this. What does he say? What does he say? This is verse number 17. Brother Saul. Do you all see what just happened there? Um, He claims familial bond to Ananias on the command of the Lord. Brother Saul. And so um, he, he goes, and you guys know the story. I'll try to move very quickly to it. The Lord appeared to you on the road. Now you're going to, be gained, you're going to regain your sight, and you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he uh, ate some food and regained strength. Now the story continues. Um, in verses um, <clears throat> 21, the crowd at Damascus is astonished at what has happened in the Apostle Paul. Um, the, the, in Jerusalem, however, the disciples are afraid and they, they have suspicions that he is not really a uh, disciple. Now, each reaction, each people group uh, is different based on context. But I want you to see a pattern, and I wish I had the time to go through this in the scripture, but it would take a very long study. Um, <clears throat> let me say this in a manner that will make you think. So, if... If we knew what God wanted to do right now in Charlotte and we got ahead of it, it would be not in the order of every example we have in the scripture. The ordinary thing for people is to have to discover what God is doing, not to understand what God is doing. In fact, there's no, there's almost no example, let me speak carefully, there's almost no example where people really understood how the will of God would play out and what it would look like. And all of them had to readjust what they thought they knew in terms to what God was really doing. This is why the house of Israel missed the birth of Jesus Christ. This is why they missed the ministry of Jesus Christ. They wanted a king all right. They wanted their definition of a king and God said, no, I will define kingship, not you. That's right. You see. And so um, 
they, they have to catch up to what God is doing. The, house, the, 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 the believers in the New Testament church, they're having to catch up to what God is doing. Continually, repeatedly, God's people are slow to understand God's plan. And if we are different, then uh, maybe we'll be the first ones to get it right. But typically, people are behind slightly on what God is doing. And they need help to catch up. They need help to see. So, I want to say this. There's a very high probability that I, as, as, as Nathan Elms, and you, as uh, you can state your own name, uh, is needing to discover what God is already doing. There's a very good chance that we, in our comfort zone, are not really understanding everything God is doing. And we are going to be taken a little bit outside of our comfort zone so we can perceive the larger work of God. This is a repeating truth in the scripture. And so Barnabas is going to, and this is later on in the chapter, Barnabas is going to testify on behalf of the Apostle Paul in Jerusalem. And the believers there, verse 27, they actually listen to Barnabas and... Barnabas is very patient uh, with their concerns. He explains the changes that he has seen. And so the believers switch from doubt to acceptance based on Barnabas' testimony. Now, Paul is not much for um, pouring oil on troubled waters. He's the kind of guy to pour gasoline on small fires. And it's not, before, not very long that the Jews are going to try to kill him. This is not, this is not the believers, this is the Jews who he formerly has been an agent of, and they were already persecuting people who called upon the name of Jesus. And now the apostle Paul is going to be one of those people calling on the name of Jesus, and they're going to try to kill him because he knows how. He has a gift for attention. He has a gift for attention. Um, My father-in-law preached uh, uh, for a large event, and he said something that I have never forgotten. Oh, speaking of of my father-in-law, my nephew Lance Stockman and his wife and their new baby is here tonight, and we're so glad about that. Uh, Brother Stockman is one of the best faith uh, preachers that uh, are working as an evangelist in the organization right now. He's going to be preaching here at First Church on Sunday, so get ready for the miraculous right here on this Sunday. But... Moving along. Uh, Brother Nugent, um, uh, preaching at a large event, he said this. He said, not all of you have a minute. And this is, if you know preachers, this is kind of a dangerous thing to say. If you know Sonny Nugent, you know why he doesn't care. Um, So he said, look, not all of you preachers have a ministry that draws attention. It's not, not all of you have a ministry that draws attention. And you're going to be tempted to kill those people who do have that gift. Paul has a ministry that draws attention. He gets more attention in five minutes than Barnabas has got in five months. But Barnabas doesn't get an ugly spirit. Do you see a life-giving culture here? Um, he gets more attention as far as a, uh, from the authorities and just almost immediately than Ananias does in his whole ministry. Ananias falls off the map of the attention Okay, but he's still a great man. But he doesn't feel a need to chop Paul and his ability to generate uh, dynamic uh, meetings and interest. And so the Jews are going to kill Paul. And I want you to see this image because this is, this is I think, uh, so important to understanding life-giving culture. So what does the church do? Uh, they, some of them, undoubtedly have friends and family who are persecuted by Paul. And they have every chance to be vindictive and to be, um, you know... <laughs> Sly like a fox, you know. Uh, they have every chance to get Paul in real trouble. But what do they do? This one who has persecuted them. When the Jews trap Paul, what the church does is they put him in a basket. And while they're waiting to kill him inside the city, they lower him outside of the city. And you know what they're saying? They don't know if Paul's going to make it. They don't even know if they're going to make it. Do you understand what I'm saying? They don't know what the end of the story is going to be. They don't know if Paul's going to flip out and do something else. They don't know. This is at the very beginning of Paul's ministry. What do they do? They still want to protect. And they still want to give life. This is healthy church culture right here. They have every reason. They have every reason to fear, to distrust. Some of them may even have been close with Stephen. And they have an image in their mind of Paul holding coats while Stephen breathes his last breath. And they have a chance, if it's in their heart, to find a way to hurt him. This is how a lot of church people operate. They wait until they have a good reason to hurt him. They're in the corner sharpening their knives. I'm glad we have nobody like that here. 
We have, we have, we do not have anybody like that here. But I'm telling you, there's a temptation to be, to be sly like a fox and wait till it looks good and then slip the knife in. Do you see? But that's not what the church does with Paul. They may have been friends with Stephen, but they give life to Paul and they put him over the walls of the church. That's the first image, I believe, in the scripture of uh, a real uh, uh, ethical uh, challenge, a real temptation for real people um, who had the opportunity to accidentally betray, accidentally reveal, accidentally put Paul at risk, but they slip him out of the city and save his life. From that moment, Paul will spiritually and ministerially reset. He will go into a time of learning. He will go into a time of preparation. And he will come back on the stage some years later in Corinth again through the intervention and the grace of Barnabas. So um, I want you to point, see a couple things. I want you to see the life-giving culture that's in the New Testament church. Paul may turn out to be a fake, a fraud, but they are not going to let it be said that their hand was the one to harm or hurt him. And so the second, let me move along. I'm, I'm using up my time and I've got two more to go through and I, maybe they'll be faster. If not, you just have to suffer, you know. So here we go. The second one is Cornelius and the story uh, uh, of Cornelius is in Acts chapter number 10. Uh, once again, it, there's this hesitation among the church people, uh, among the New Testament first generation church people. Why? Why is their hesitation. Well, first of all, Cornelius is not a Jew. This is a big deal. As if that's not a a, a stumbling block right there. Uh, Here's the other one. uh, um, uh, Cornelius is a centurion uh, in one of the most famous regiments of the Roman army. And as a result of him being a centurion uh, in this uh, this legion, um, he has, shall we say, a certain status uh, in the community. It's, it's hard for us to understand just how high the status of uh, a commander of an occupying army has. This is, this is, we, we have no one in our society who has this kind of authority of life or death over us like Cornelius has in the church. Cornelius truly, as a Roman officer and as a commander in the occupying army, literally has life or death over everyone in the church and he's not even a Jew and he uh, is directed he is a God-fearing man and he's calling upon the Lord Peter very quickly has the vision about the Lord cleansing the unclean this is a picture of grace it's done in the in the context of Old Testament law of of of, of the clean and the unclean but it's really a picture of grace do not call uh, unclean what I have cleansed. And uh, then Peter is sent to Cornelius's home. Cornelius is, again, uh, as I mentioned, God-fearing. He is praying, and he is there. He is there uh, receiving the word of Peter. And their story, and for time's sake, I won't go too deep into this story, but um, their story is not even uh, less kind of What's the best way to say this? There's a tendency for believers to put people on probation, not to receive them as a brother. Let me say that one again because I think that is helpful. There's a tendency for us to put people on probation, not to receive them as a brother. There's even a a tendency in certain church-type contexts where you don't really receive people into the family and friendship of the church. You kind of wait and see. Um, I lived that way for some time until the Lord convicted me and uh, basically gave me a a very, very painful um, ministerial crisis. And I realized that I was pouring all my energy um, into people that... um, wherever they ended up going to church, they were already saved. And I, had, I, had, I was not pouring the same energy into first-generation believers who were first coming into um, a, a kind of an apostolic experience, a, a book of Acts experience. And the Lord really, really convicted me, and I, I made a personal decision. I would change uh, that focus of mine. And it was, uh, you know, I didn't make a big deal about it, but I realized I was hiding my heart from people, waiting to see if they would stick so I wouldn't have to deal with the pain of rejection. And I made that change. You guys all lived through it. You didn't know what you were going through. But uh, there was a Sunday. You didn't know what you were going through. You poor darlings. You suffered. 
Um, you, you <laughs> but there was a Sunday where I, 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 was, I, I wasn't just like over here before church, but I was at the front door and I was throwing my heart at every single person who walked in the door. And I literally was not waiting to see whether or not they were going to stick it out, but I was loving them first. You know, see what I'm saying? I wasn't protecting myself from it. That's my personal testimony. I needed, I needed that revelation. There's a tendency for us as believers um, to kind of put people on probation. And then if they do good, then we open our heart. This is not the biblical way. We love because we were first loved while we were yet sinners. We open our heart early. And if they don't stick, it's okay. If they don't make it, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but you get the idea. That's, that's their decision. It's not, it's not our decision uh, to guard ourselves from them. No, we pour ourselves out. It would have been easy for the church to treat Cornelius as though he were on, um, on probation of sorts. But you see uh, in the scripture... <clears throat> That they recognize, this is uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 45 and 46. They recognize that the gift of the Holy Ghost had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And this is what is so important. When the church talks here about what is going on. <clears throat> the question in their, in, their, in their discussion is not if the Gentiles are saved. But how and in what way they are being saved and brought into the people of God. They are, they are accepting what God is doing. Do they? understand it? No. But are they accepting it? Yes. This is life-giving culture demonstrated in the book of Acts. Some people feel like they need to kill that which they don't understand because there might be a threat. You have to believe that God's in control of this thing. And the Spirit's going to blow how it will. And the Spirit's going to move where it will. And God somehow is going to bring out of it uh, 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 something that is uh, a glory to His name. So, how am I doing on time? Bad. I'm going to be done in 10 minutes. Okay, so the third celebrity conversion in the Scripture is actually given to us as the first. Now, I've done it in this way because I thought... Uh, the chronology of our understanding would be helped by starting with Paul, then dealing with Cornelius, who was an example of a good believer who is zealous and sincere, not flaky in the sense of um, kind of having their own agenda. And now I want to talk about the third celebrity conversion in the book of Acts. And this is the story of Simon the sorcerer told in chapter number 8 of um, uh, verses 4 through 25. And this is, this is a more difficult story, so I saved it for last. And the reason why is because Simon the sorcerer is not, as near as we can tell, there is, we, there's reason to doubt whether or not he is operating in good faith. Okay, so let me tell you a secret. A church with an open heart will be hurt by people it opens its heart, its heart to. But the church cannot be the church while it protects itself. The church can only be the church while it is protected by the Spirit of the Lord. Spiritual death culture is when we try to do the job of building the house, protecting our hearts. We have to open our hearts and let God protect us. So that means if we have a church that we are open and we are accepting and we are speaking life to people and we're seeing them through grace... That's how we need to be seen, amen? <laughs> if we're seeing, we're going to accept some people we shouldn't have accepted. <laughs> we're going to have some uh, goats among the sheep. Amen. In fact, the first church, we have a great goat ministry. <laughs> and uh, that's the ministry I've put Brother Ed in charge of, and he is... <laughs> I love my brother. He's, he's my brother. Um, um, I, 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 some of you are doing, coming along well, though, and, and when, if he gets weary, I'm going to put you in charge of the goat ministry, but um, <laughs> we will accept some people we should not have accepted. This is not a, a, a bug. This is a feature. This is not an accident. This is intentional. How can you become who you need to become in God if everything works out perfect for you? Anointing comes through crushing. Don't ever forget that. Jesus is not in Gethsemane by accident. He's teaching us something. Am I scaring you? I hope so. I hope you're terrified. <laughs> so anyway, I want you to see what's happening here. Um, the only per man, this is all in my leadership training that I'm preparing for my leadership. So you guys are going to have to hear it twice. But anyway, so here's what I want you to see. Who is the one person Jesus cannot trust? Judas. Duh. Who's the one person Jesus puts in a position of trust? Light bulb. 
Who's the one person Jesus can't trust? Judas. Who's the one person he puts in a position of trust? Judas. We will inevitably open our heart to people who will embarrass the church, who will not be sincere. And guess what? It's okay because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It's going to be okay. God has this system, this plan. He says this, and this isn't my words. This isn't Nate's theology. Let the tares grow up with the wheat. And a day will come, and there'll be this great separation ceremony. And hopefully we'll be on the right side. But let me tell you what you're never going to be qualified as. A tear inspector. You don't know the human heart. Most of us don't know our own hearts. That's why we speak life to one another. We need the grace we're refusing to give to someone else. If you serve God long enough, you're going to need the mercy you're denying to someone else. And so I want you to see how in this story, um, it starts, and uh, for time's sake, you can read this. Um, uh, and I want you to see this. It starts with this. He believes and he is baptized. But, so, so don't rush past that. He believes and he is baptized. These are notable moments that are celebrated by the church. Um, don't ever think that belief is not something that should be celebrated. Belief is a function of repentance. Right. I was going this way, now I'm going this way. Right. You get some good sleep, you won't yawn in church, my brother. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, brother. I, I'm just off my meds tonight. I can't help myself. <laughs> Normally it's Sister Purple, but tonight, uh, anyway. So, <laughs> all right, moving along. So, what was I talking about before I started picking on the new leader of the Goats Ministry at First Year? <laughs> oh, we should celebrate, but belief. He believes. Why? It's a function of repentance. I was going this way. I repent. Repent, and the column of soldiers turns. Now I'm going this way. This is when heaven celebrates. The angels rejoice. Part of a life-giving culture is celebrating as fast as you can on what God is doing in someone's life. That's a life-giving culture. Someone can say, you know, I was just walking along and I thought, Jesus is good. I'm like, praise God. I'm going to sell it. I'm not going to ask, well, do you understand the Godhead? No, stop with that death culture. I'm going to celebrate right now. We're not qualifying each other. The only thing good you can say about it is God touched me. I'm glad God touched you. Praise God. One of the errors, one of the errors of our church is because we want so much for people. We want so much for people. We hold back on celebrating and we create a culture of fel- f- failure while the angels in heaven are rejoicing. We're like, next Sunday you'll get the Holy Ghost. We create this culture of, this person is just, they're sobbing. They've had, they've had an experience like they never had. And then we create this culture of, oh, next Sunday you'll get the Holy Ghost. You didn't get it today. I know this is the most powerful thing that's ever happened to you. But it doesn't count much in this death culture around here. Because you haven't got all that we want for you. Of course we want all, but we want more than that. We want miracles, signs, and wonders. We want eternity. We celebrate fast. So what did the church do? That he believes and he's baptized. There's, Luke does not write one negative thing. Not one negative thing. In fact, the phrasing of the language, I probably should read this and just not worry about the fact you have to get up at 5 a.m. and go to work. Um, so the, the phrasing of his language is to celebrate in an interesting manner the notoriety that they have. Let me read Luke. A man named si- uh, Simon, sorcerer many years. This is verse 9, chapter number 8. Um, Amazing, the people of Samaria proclaiming to be someone great. Luke's given him status with his language. He's not putting an asterisk on him. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as, quote, the great one, the power of God, end quote. Can you see Luke giving him status? Luke's not putting any negative in the story. He's not saying, look, there's a sketchy sucker. And we've got the ushers watching that sketchy sucker. Because if he moves an inch, we're going to tackle his high and choke the fool out of him in Jesus' name. Paul's, um, excuse me, Luke has given him status. Luke has given him status. 
Then verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. He begins following Philip around. He's amazed by the signs and the miracles that Philip is performing. What are some of those signs? Some of those signs is that Philip lays hands on people and they speak with tongues. But what is Philip not doing for Simon? He's not laying hands on him so he will speak with tongues. Now, this creates a problem for, for Simon because he, he evidently is a spiritual person and he sees the value in this. I want you to see how Philip has this check in his spirit that although he, the church is willing to celebrate your confession, your belief, and the church is willing to baptize you as a public confession and belief, he is not willing to lay hands and pray on Philip. There's some type, evidently, I think it's, it's necessary because the apostles are not in the business of holding the Holy Spirit away from people, but there's something there. And if it's the manner of uh, the moving of the Spirit of the Lord, probably there's something in Philip he just doesn't feel right about laying hands on uh, this Simon and praying that the Lord would fill him with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is a gift. This is, this is important. That's not my language. That's biblical language. And there's something in Simon that he's just not, um, not Simon, but Philip, he's just not ready to pray for Simon to receive the gift, the gift, the gift of the Holy Ghost, okay? And so Simon is following him around. He's waiting. When's my turn come? And Philip's not doing it. Think about that. You talk about some spiritual things happening here. Simon won't do it. I mean, Philip won't do it. If I get the words mixed up, you know what I mean. Just, just chalk it up the fact that I'm as tired as Anthony is and just trying to survive. So um, um, here, 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 here he is. Here he is. He's trying to make this work. I want this too. And he's getting in all the, all the, the lines. He's getting the miracle line. And Philip's coming along. You ever had this happen to you in a prayer line at church? It's like, I pray for this one. I pray for this one. I, pray. I ain't praying for you. <laughs> And Simon gets desperate. True story. Simon gets desperate. And he says, look, okay, I'm going to bring this to a head. And he says, I will write the church a big fat check if you'll pray for me to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, for the first time, you see the spirit he is of. He does not understand. And what does, he does this, I believe, with Peter. Well, let me check the scripture. I don't want to get mixed up and have people sending me uh, messages uh, about how. Yeah, Peter, he says it to Peter, verse number 20. Then Peter says, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. God's gift. Remember, this is multiple mentions of gift. Thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness. Pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you your evil thoughts. For I can see you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Now, now this is an example of a flaky celebrity conversion. And I'm almost done. Really, maybe. Uh, uh, this is an example of a flaky celebrity conversion. His heart's not right. But I want you to see that up until the moment where the apostle addresses his heart under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, there is not one negative thing said by the church, written by Luke, concerning this man's conversion. In fact, scholars say that Luke makes a point to present Simon in a positive light all the way up until the moment where the Spirit rebukes him through the Apostle uh, Peter. And so the interesting thing, and there's, a, there's so much here, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to try to sum this up right now. In fact, um, why don't one of our musicians come and start playing uh, so I'll, I'll be reminded that I, I, I need to quit. So um, interesting thing here is this. Yes, people need to persevere in their discipleship. Yes. People do have to be faithful over time. Yes, they need to grow. I need to grow. We all need to grow. Yes, there are many celebrities who they may have a temporary conversion. Yes, we know this is true. But in the meantime, the church is not going to be the ones who hurts them. Do you, do, you see, do you see what I'm saying there? Okay, yes. Are, do people use the church for their own purposes? Sure they do. Do celebrities use the church to maybe promote their own agenda? Sure they do. This is just human nature. But I want you to see that in this New Testament, first generation church with this, 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 this life-giving culture, it's not going to be the church who is the one to kill 
the celebrity convertee who is coming toward coming toward their faith. This does not mean that we as people should not be growing in spiritual discipline and becoming more godly. Yes, yes, we need to remain true to the Lord with all of our hearts, Acts 11 and 23. Yes, we need to continue in the grace of God, 13 and 43. Yes, we need to remain true to the faith, 14 and 22. Paul writes to the congregation at Philippi to hold firmly to the word of life because then he will be able to boast on the day of the Lord knowing that he did not run or labor in vain, Philippians 2 and 16. Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to find out their faith fearing he had labored in vain. He sends them back to make sure he had not, they, they've stuck with it. I want you to see, yes, they're still going to have to be discipled. They're still going to have to overcome, tempt, I'm talking about celebrity conversions. They're still going to have to overcome just like you. They're going to have to be reconciled to the nature and the heart of God just like you. They're going to have ups and downs just like you. They're going to be sometimes mocked, sometimes praised just like you. And they may not make it Forgive me for saying this because I don't believe it and I reject it in Jesus' name. But just like you. (laughs) You understand my point? My point. I believe he's able to keep that which is committed. You see what I'm saying? I believe there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. The devil can't stop you. All he can do is to try to get you to stop. But But until then, the grace that has been given to us should flow out of us. And like the Hippocratic Oath, first, we do no harm. First, we speak no evil. Has he lived a typ- Has Kanye lived a typical hip-hop life? I imagine. I haven't been there. I'm not qualified to say. Has he committed every sin there is from Sunday? I imagine. I wasn't there. I know I've committed every sin from Sunday. Well, actually, I lived a pretty boring life. But anyway, I, 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 I have the capacity to commit every sin there was from Sunday. You see what I'm saying? Um... In the meantime, I hope the Spirit is moving. And in the meantime, I hope the Holy Spirit is doing things that I can't even perceive. And I believe He is, I I pray that He is the first of many celebrity conversions. In fact, I want to end this service in a very unique way that you have never been, you've never done this in your life. Stand with me right now. I'm about to make you do something you have never done. Don't worry, it's not a sin. You just have never done it. At least not since you were a teenager, okay? Right now, I want you to think of your favorite celebrity. Who is your favorite celebrity? You've never done this in church before. But what's wrong with praying for revival in our generation? So, who is your favorite celebrity? Pick one right now. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to end by doing one more thing. All right? Now, I'm not going to call out the name of the celebrity I'm praying for, because that might be weird, okay? But I'm praying for celebrity, all right? I'm picking someone that I think could have a lot of influence if they would publicly publicly speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so right now, all across the house, pray for that person in your own words. Lord Jesus, you know exactly who is on my heart right now, Lord. You know exactly how they could make a difference if they could see the beauty of the gospel. Lord, I pray for them that you would reveal to them the beauty of the Lord. I pray that you would let them see how the story of redemption is the only hope for a broken world and to perceive how your grace and your gospel changes everything. And the Lord, I pray that they would use their influence and give it back to you. I believe all all the things that we have ultimately are gifted to us by you, Lord. And so there's this great honor in giving back to you uh, that which you have given to us. And so I'm praying right now, Lord Jesus, that they would in some way be moved in their spirit to give what influence they have back to you. And not in a weird way or in a strange way, but to glorify your name in the manner of a public testimony to make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And finally, I want to end with this. 
God chose you. That means, although you are not the world's celebrities, you're God's celebrity. So don't be in love with celebrity and forget that you are God's celebrity. Remember when you were single and you went to the, uh, some event where you were, everyone was all dressed up and you looked around and you tried to find the, the prettiest girl at the dance or the best looking guy at the show, whatever you did, whatever you did. And then you hoped they would like you. Don't you remember that feeling? I'd go to a conference and I'd look around. I'd say, man, I wish. That, you understand what I'm saying? Don't you? Know? Okay. God found his bride in you. And you, through his grace, have been made clean. And you, through his gospel, have become his bride. And so let's not have stars in our eyes and forget that Jesus had stars in his eyes. And he fell for you. So when you walk out of this church, you need to walk with a certain set, a certain realization that I am loved. I am loved. I am chosen. I am not alone. I am loved. I am chosen. Believe it or not, God chose me for an eternal love story. I am loved. I am accepted. It's called grace. Lord Jesus, walk with your people, I pray. Lead them by your power. Let them stand with hope and joy in their lives. Let them perceive the, the beauty of this story that we call, we call the church. The beauty of this story that we call the church. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. hallelujah. One more time before we go, would you just lift your voice all across the house? Just Let's give God a shout of praise in this house. Oh, I want to bless your name, Lord God. I want to worship you today. I want to magnify you. I want to exalt you, oh God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we bless you today. We bless you today. Amen, amen. God bless you. So tonight, you broke all the rules. We preached about Kanye, and you prayed for celebrities. There's no hope for First Church, but I love you very much, and you are God's people, and you go out and make a difference in your world. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.